How are we doing, guys? You guys are excited. This is awesome. Hey, it's, I'm so glad that you guys are here. If you're visiting with us, special welcome to you. Um, so this one time, uh, I was on my way to becoming obsessed. The funny thing is, it didn't happen my freshman year in college. It didn't happen my sophomore year in college. It happened my junior year in college when I started going to Cincinnati Christian University. You see, I would have expected it to happen before then, but now I was surrounded by people who were pursuing vocational ministry as their career, and it started with the occasional glance, the every now and again noticing. But it grew and it grew and it grew. What was I noticing? What was I taking an interest in? A MacBook Pro. Yeah, a MacBook Pro, that, that sleek silver body with that lit up Apple and those black, the black keyboard and all of the, the cool factor that came along with this computer. I was surrounded by all these Christians who had these nice MacBook computers and I was starting to think to myself, is this like a Christian computer thing? Like, because this is cool looking and all y'all got them and I never I didn't have it. And so I would start noticing all of these, and my friends would tell me about how great they are, and I would start to desire one of them, and I would be like, man, I would love to have yours. Are you ever going to get a new one? It's not like you can just give it to me. It's all good. Because here's the thing, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford it at all. And so I was in a place where I was very much desirous and, and really just after one of these MacBook computers. Now, you may think that's silly. You may think that's silly, but you probably never had a MacBook computer. Because I was starting to become an Apple fanboy before I even had one of these computers. I was doing all my research. Uh, I was thinking, you know, like, they're, they're, they'd last longer than PCs, most of them anyway. They, they're more secure. You don't get as many viruses or really any. And uh, the Apple Care is phenomenal. So I was becoming this research, like, stud about Apple computers, and I just couldn't get one. And so that lead me, led me to really, really just kind of a, a period of discontentment. Now, you may think that's silly, but uh, let's be honest, like, they look cool. And I was thinking about all the different things I could do with them. Like, I could do some audio mixing and editing. I could do some video editing, so many more things. And I was just kind of becoming obsessed. But now let's fast forward. Now that I have one, I realize that while it's a great computer, it's just a computer. Now that I have one, I am not so far as, as elevating it to a place where it shouldn't be. Because I already got one. It's not a big deal anymore. I've written two books on it. I've written uh, sermons and classes and articles on it. But here's the thing. Like I, it didn't revolutionize my life. I could have written all those things with any other computer. But in that moment, in that period of my life, I was really focused on having one of these MacBook computers. But now that I have one, I've had it for three and a half years, and I know it's just a computer, it's just a tool. It's just a thing. It's not a big deal. But when I didn't have it, that's when I played it up in my mind. Because here's the thing, I am afraid of a C word that I'm sure many of you are afraid of as well. What's that word? Contentment. I, I tremble in fear at that word. 
that is a C word that scares me, and I'm sure it scares you because for me, like, I have had to learn, because what I've learned is, as becoming a follower of Jesus, that I'm never satisfied with the things I should be satisfied with. I'm never satisfied with uh, where I'm at in life. I'm always on my mind to the next thing. Like anyone else, like you, you're just never satisfied with what is, and you always are focused. Once you accomplish something, you're focused on that very next thing. Anybody out there, like you're focused on new things, better things, more things. You're never focused on what you have, but you're always on focus on the next thing. And when you get that next thing, it's on to the next thing and on to the next thing. And it is a vicious, vicious, tiring cycle. You see, I wish I was different. I wish I was different as a person where I could turn my pursuit of other stuff off. I wish I could turn it off. I wish I could just be this person who's chill and not intense. You see, I, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I have like two modes. I have like goofy Brandon and I have intense Brandon. And then I have this period in between where I transition between the two. There's not much there. Goofy, intense. And you all should pray for my wife. There's often times where we were having a discussion, and, and she just says, I, I can't talk to you right now because you're just too intense. And I'm like, honey, we're just, we're just having a conversation. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, we're just, we're just trying to, you know, figure out, like, the, the solution to this thing. It's, it's not a big deal. And, and she's like, no, you, like, listen to yourself. You're intense. I can't. You don't want to have a conversation. You just want to be right. And that's true. <laughs> but that's just how I am. Like, we can have a debate, but you have to know that deep down inside me, I'm trying to resist the urge to, to like gloat in my rightness. I, I am, I'm a jerk. But luckily Jesus is good and he is hopefully uh, changing me in, in some way. Because what I've learned as being a follower of Jesus is that the pursuit of more, new, or different, it never stops. At least for me. It never stops. And so I've been for a long time living inside the tension of being driven, of being ambitious, and an achiever kind of person, while also realizing that my drive, my ambition, my goals, they can easily fall into sin in a blink of an eye. And so for the longest time, I've lived in this tension, and what I believe what we're going to find out today is not only that I'm really messed up, but that there's the commandment that we're going to look at today that uh, what I think we're going to realize is that all of us have broken it, all of us are breaking it, and there's this, there's this reality that we have to live in in order for us to find contentment when nothing around us offers it. And so we've been in this series called For Your Good, uh, and if you've been tracking with us, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments and been going through each one of them, and uh, I, I, hopefully it's been helpful. What we've been looking at is this idea that the Ten Commandments aren't just this list of rules of do's and don'ts, but it's actually God's heart for his people, and it's if we follow them, we are walking in God's best for us. And so um, hopefully that's been helpful. If you have not been here for the whole entire series, I encourage you go to cometothecrossing.com and check it out, or you can get it on our mobile app, or if you're a podcaster, you can get it there as well. Um, but today we're going to dive into the 10th commandment, and um, I think we're going to find that none of us have mastered this. So Exodus chapter 20, if you got a Bible, go ahead and pull it out. Um, there's one in 
front of the seat or in front of you under the seat and the seat back in front of you is that's the that's the term right i got to get that down the seat back in front of you we never used to have uh seat backs in front of you um as a church so now we do i got to get that mastered or you can get your smartphone uh all right here's exodus 20 verse 17 it says this do not covet your neighbor's house do not covet your neighbor's wife his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Just, just, just don't do that. So, so the scene is that the Israelites are standing before this mountain and hearing God give them these commands. They're hearing God speak to them. And, and if you go to the next verse, you see like their reaction. They're like freaked out because God, like when God speaks in this setting, he has a booming, thunderous voice. And they're like trembling. Like, yes, I'll do that. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll not covet. That's, that's good. But, but this, the thing is, like, when we've been going through these Ten Commandments, you probably realize that on the surface, like, they seem pretty simple. But this last one is different. The Tenth Commandment, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb because of two reasons. It's intensity, and it's just different. It's just different. Like, when, when he says, do not covet your neighbor's house, um, he repeats himself. And I think what he's saying in that first thing, do not covet your neighbor's house, because uh, it would be weird for him to say, do not covet your neighbor's house, because none of them had houses. Like, they're like portable, like we were as a church, right? They're, they're just living from tent to tent. They pick up and they go. So I think what he's saying is, and I think we can see this because of how he expounds upon what he said, is that he's saying, do not covet your neighbor's household. Like, everything in it. Like, you see, they've got the perfect package don't covet after your neighbor's household because then he he goes on to say all the things that are included in your neighbor's household so while while they may have used to simply desire freedom as the israelites like think about this they used to be slaves in egypt and and when you don't have something you want it and when we like maslow's hierarchy of needs like they probably their biggest desire was simply to have freedom when they were slaves. You probably probably give me that. But but once they got freedom, God knew that they would likely start to desire things that they don't have. Things that go beyond just freedom. And so he's giving them this commandment and saying, "I know that there's going to be a moment and it may be happening right now or be right before I started talking that you were looking at your neighbor, the guy be, beside you, and you started noticing that they seem to have it all figured out. And you started to want that. And you could easily slip into wanting it so much that it becomes an obsession. Because what happens is, is when we covet after something, and this is what God knew for them, when we covet after something, we ignore what we already have. And so while they should be grateful for being free, God knows that at some point, maybe it's already happened for some of them, that they would fall into coveting something that they don't have. And so while they may have to, used to desire freedom, God knows that they will likely begin occupying their time by looking around and start playing the comparison game. <clears throat> so this 10th commandment, God repeats himself. Do not covet your household your neighbor's household, but do not covet all these things inside the household. I'm making myself clear. Don't do it because it is dangerous. And so its intensity is different, but also it's just different. 
think about this. On the surface, each one of the commandments we've been looking at over the last uh, couple months have been outward things. Just think about this. Do not have other gods beside Yahweh. That priorities show. If you got some other gods beside him, that's going to show, especially in their culture, because you would be going on to the next one, and do not make an idol for yourself. That's a physical thing. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Words are audible things. It's outward. Remember the Sabbath day. Rest is done outwardly. Honor your father and mother. Honor is expressed outwardly. You guys see a trend here. Do not murder. That's outward, right? Uh, do not commit adultery. Outward. Do not steal. Do not give false te testimony. All these things are outward actions. And I know if you've been tracking with us, we've been looking at the below the surface kinds of things that kind of happen before those things. But you have to understand that I think why Jesus goes into the depths of all these things is because of the 10th commandment is there. Because he's saying that there's something inward that can happen in you that leads to all these other outward things. And so if you start doing this, you're, you're surely on the path to doing these other things. It kind of bookends it. Keep God as first in your life and don't covet what you don't have. So that's inward. But because in a very real way, the 10th commandment is the shovel that digs beneath the surface of all the other nine commandments. It's the warning sign that flashes at you as you are headed down a path that you should not be on that leads to destruction. And so covetousness, coveting. Like that's not a word we typically use. Like when was the last time you used that word? So what does that mean? What does it mean to covet? The, the Hebrew word, if, if I may uh, in, uh, share with you something I looked up on the internet. Uh, the Hebrew word is kamad. Don't think I'm smart. And it means to desire or to take pleasure in. To desire or to take pleasure in. So do not desire or do not take pleasure in your neighbor's household. Because it leads to bad things. And so it's pretty easy to see, I think then, that the connections this commandment has to all the rest. If you start to desire so much your neighbor's household... Keeping up with the Joneses, Joneses of the ancient Near East version, then likely you will lead into something that you should not be going into, and that is sin. And I think coveting is the starting point of sin that we see outwardly. It begins in the heart and in the mind, which makes this sin very dangerous. And, and here's, here's the unfortunate thing for us. And you may look at it as, well, that's, that's kind of nice, actually. I can kind of live in it and nobody know it. It's easy to hide. And that makes it really dangerous. Coveting is inward. And if it just stays in your thought world, then no one will really know. Like, I'm not going to go up to you and say, hey, uh, just noticed, by the way, you were coveting after my household. Right? Like, that's... If, if you were angry with me, I could say, hey, I noticed you were angry with me. Can we talk? But this is different. Like, you could live for years in this sin, and no one could know about it. Surely it would have implications on your heart that would lead into manifestations of actions. But the foundation of this, it's very easy to live in. And not only that, but this culture that we live in, is all about getting you to covet after something you don't have so that you'll buy their product. Like, you need this. That's what marketers do, right? They want to convince you that you need it. 
Not just that you want it, but that you need it. And so when, when the Israelites start looking at the other, their other neighbors' households and they start to say, well, their wife is nice. Their wife is a little bit more attractive than mine, right? And, and so I kind of want them. Think about King David. He's, he's not in battle, and he looks upon uh, on his rooftop. He notices Bathsheba taking a bath, and he notices her. He gawks at her, and he covets her, even though he knows that she is married. And not only married, but she is married to a person who is giving of his life for David and the nation of Israel. And that leads him into adultery and murder. So it began with coveting. They're like, I like that you have uh, these ten donkeys because it allows you to be more productive and you don't have to spend as much time on the field. And so I would love to have your donkey. So maybe when you're away on vacation, I'll just go and take a couple. You might not notice. I'll give them back. But I'm going to go take your donkeys, your form of productivity, and I'm going to take that for myself. And so coveting. I think God is deeply concerned with the inner person just as much as he is concerned with what we do. Because I think God's ethic that he has laid out here goes far deeper than we would ever go. Think about this, right? Like none of us are going to go to jail for coveting our neighbor's boat. Can you imagine that? Like just think about this. You're sitting there at your window Noticing, and this is funny because like my neighbor has a boat in his driveway. I would love to have a boat. Um, and, and they were cleaning it, you know, and, and so no one's going to call the cops and, and say, you know, I noticed my neighbor, he took a fond interest in my boat, and so I want you all to come and, and arrest him. And the police are going to come, knock on my door, and then break it down and take me in. It's not going to happen because, like, we would wait till I stole it, right, like, or vandalized it because I didn't want him to have it. What I should do is just befriend him and he can take me out on the boat. <laughs> uh, no one, none of us are going to lose our jobs because we are coveting after our neighbor's nicer house. Our boss isn't going to bring us into the, into the office and say, hey, uh, I noticed that you are talking a lot about your neighbor's house. Uh, you're fired. Sorry. Like, that's just not going to happen. But God has a different ethic in mind than we have. Because this is the danger of coveting. If our sin of coveting remains in just our thoughts, it can go unnoticed to those around us. And likely, like, if you're like me, if no one notices what you're doing, even in your thoughts, you probably won't confess to it until you're caught. And so that's the danger, because it can sit in there, in our hearts, for far too long. But God knows that the inner you is just as important as the outer you. Because God knows what Dave Harvey, an author, has said. He knows that this is true. We always pursue what we prize. We always do. If we have something in our lives that we prize, we will pursue that. And so if the object of our prizing is something our neighbor has and we're willing to go and take it from them, we're falling into coveting. And when we prize something so much that we covet it, we are elevating it above God. Because coveting elevates wants to the realm of needs. 
think about this. When we covet something, our desires are morphing into obsessions. And it's the, that obsession, that entitlement, that we deserve it, that drives us to be willing to sin in order to get it. Like, we don't usually talk about coveting, I know. But we all know what it looks like. For those of you who are parents, uh, think about Christmas. You know what coveting looks like. And if you're not a parent, but you have siblings, you know what coveting looks like because you've been doing it. But think about it. Like, you, it's Christmas morning, right? The kids are awake. They are bothering you to get up because they are jacked up and ready to go open up all the presents that are under the tree. If you're blessed to be able to have that kind of setting, and then they go downstairs or they go to the living room, wherever it is, and they start to open it. And surely I know that all of you guys remind your kids before they open the presents that Christmas is all about Jesus and that he came and he's the greatest present, so we should honor him. I know y'all do that. But then they go and they open up their presents and then Susie has something that Billy wants or Billy has something that Joey wants. And so they start to bicker back and forth and start to fight over the things that they have. They covet and so they try to steal it. But Tony Evans said this. I thought it was uh, true and and kind of funny. Uh, Not only do kids covet at Christmas, their parents covet all year long. Jesus had some things to say about this in uh, Luke chapter 12. This is, this is funny. Uh, this guy comes up to him, and Jesus ends up using him as a sermon illustration. It's kind of funny. Luke 12, uh, starting in verse 13, says this. Someone from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Jesus saying to him, uh, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. (laughs) You guys have to see the humor in scripture. Like, just imagine being that guy. I mean, he's bringing, like, a legit desire, a legit concern to Jesus because the way inheritance worked, the oldest uh, brother would would get a double portion of the inheritance and then the rest of it would be dispersed to the rest of of the kids, okay? And so what, what could have been happening, I don't know what's happening, we, we're not told, but maybe it's the younger sibling wanting their portion, and maybe the older sibling is just not, like, not letting him have it. And, and so he's like, Jesus, can, can you just like, come and, and tell, him, tell him to give it to me? Because you're a rabbi, and that's what we do. We come to rabbis with our, with our problems, and, and, and you tell us what to do, and it makes it all better. Um, maybe, maybe it's the older brother like saying, they don't deserve this, so I want, I want all of the inheritance. We don't know what it is, but... Uh, just imagine going up to Jesus when he was here on the first century in Israel. You have a concern that it was legit. Like none, none of your friends are going to be like, oh, you probably shouldn't ask that. You probably shouldn't come up to him and bring that up. And you're like, hey, I, this is what I des- Like this is mine. This is what I deserve. Like it's supposed to be mine. And, and, and Jesus, will you help me out here? Because my brother, he's being unreasonable. And Jesus turns into turns this man who has a legit concern, I think, into a sermon illustration. Uh, He says they need to watch out and be on guard against all greed. Uh, Some translations like the ESV actually translate the the word for for greed. It's it's a Greek word, pleonexius, uh, as covetousness. So not just greed, but but it goes back to what we're talking about here, the Tenth Commandment. That's why I brought it up, because it makes sense, right? Uh, Coveting. Be on guard against all coveting. Be on guard. 
It's like a military term. Be on the watch for this. Adam Clark, a uh, commentator, he, he uh, commented, because that's what commentators do, uh, on this verse and said this. He said, such a disposition of mind is never satisfied. For as soon as one object is gain, the heart goes out after another. So I don't know about you, but, but this is why the C word scares me. Because, like, I'm the guy, senior of high school, uh, convinced our baseball team when we had, you know, you have the shirts, right? You wear the shirts around, and you have a saying on the back. I don't know if y'all do that right here, but we did. And, and I came up with the saying, never accept good enough. Because, like, that's, that's just, that's good, right? You should just always be striving for better. Now, while that may be honorable, especially in our, in our culture, uh, as a follower of Jesus now, this motto of never accepting good enough has caused me to become a person who is likely coveting after not just like not things necessarily, like sometimes a MacBook Pro, you know, uh, but but coveting after accomplishment. Like if you're a successful person and you've accomplished something that I want to accomplish. My heart's going to be having a hard time being happy for you. Can I just be real with y'all? Is that okay? Because, like, what I wanted to start the sermon with is have a chair right here and be sitting. And be like, y'all got anything? Let's just read the scripture and say, y'all got anything? Anything insightful? Because I'm still figuring this out. Like, I don't, I don't really know what this looks like practically. I've got some ideas. But, like, it's... it's for me to be heartfelt about this topic is for me to be completely genuine with you in saying that I have not figured this thing out at all. I know what scripture says. And I know the main point of the sermon is, is hopefully going to be my goal. But I am not a content person. I'm not designed. I, I, I don't know if God's designed me that way or, or what, but... Like, there's just something in me that is always going to be discontent, and I know that. And I have to battle against that, because I have to remind myself that Jesus is sufficient for me. That all these things that offer satisfaction in this world, I have to remind myself on a constant basis that, Brandon, that thing is not going to satisfy you, because you know what's going to happen? You wanted to write a book. You wrote a book. And guess what happened after you wrote the book? You, you brought it out. That was cool. And then you were like, what next? There's no, Whatever. Just wrote some words. It's not a big deal. And people look at that like, oh, that's a great accomplishment. You should be happy about that. No, I'm not. Something wrong with me. I am completely messed up. Because that should be something cool, right? But there's just something in me that makes me uncomfortable to talk about this topic because I have no idea what, how to do it. And that's why I think the, the 10th commandment is so important because that is the foundation of us finding satisfaction in the one who can actually satisfy. So whenever I accomplish one thing, I'm gearing up for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And it's hard for me to just sit still and relax. And I have to learn a new thing so I can accomplish a new thing. Anyone else there, like, am I alone Hopefully not, because we, we need to start like a support group or something. Yeah, 
a few of you. Well, great. Awesome. All of you else just need to teach us how to do this. But, but I think Jesus knows the real problem. Because the problem wasn't in the person wanting the inheritance or me and wanting to accomplish things. That's not the problem. The problem is within our own hearts. Because it's okay to desire having more resources or doing good things, but when the resources or the actions become the chief end of one's life, that is when we fall into coveting. That is when we fall into elevating something else that can't satisfy above the one who can actually satisfy Jesus. And so he says, be on guard, because it will slip in. And this is why Jesus says to be where to be aware to protect the heart because a person's life is not in their resources their possessions or their accomplishments and then he goes on and tells us tells a story he says then he told him a parable a rich man's land was very productive it was a good year this was a good time you could you could say that it was a blessing from god he thought to himself what should i do since i don't have anywhere to store my crops I just got too much stuff. I don't have enough room. I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. (laughs) Then I'll say to myself, self, you have many goods stored up for many. You can can envision him doing the self-talk, right? Uh, Self, (laughs) you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. You did well, my friend. But God said to him, you fool, this very night of your life is demanded, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what we see in the story is that Jesus tells us about a story of a man who is completely focused on himself. He's a successful guy. He had a good year. Harvest time was awesome. He didn't have to listen to country music to make him feel better about himself. This guy is completely about himself. He is about more, more, and more. But not only that, he never once thinks of how he can be a blessing to someone else. Like, I got all this extra stuff. This is good. I could open up an extra Kroger over here. Feed all the hungry. But he never does that. He's like, well, I got enough... I have storage room, so I'm, I'm going to do the work to, to, to fill up, not, not what I got, but I'm going to build new ones and fill those up. He never once thought, like, maybe I could bless someone. Maybe I could give of what I rightly earned to someone else. Maybe God's blessing isn't just for, meant for me, but it's meant for the, the person on the side of the street who's begging for food, begging for money, and I could help them, but nah. They need to go get a job. They need to go do this and do that. I'm prejudging them and because I assume that they're lazy and maybe if they're not, they just fell into poverty. But I'm going to assume that they don't have a right to have any of what's mine. And so he's just concerned about himself. And, and I want to be hard on the guy. And I'm sure you do too. But that guy's us. It's not somebody else. It's us. Jesus is telling a story, not about the guy down the street who has the nice Camaro or Mustang or whatever floats your boat or the boat. He's talking about us. 
because he wants us to embrace a different ethic and a different economic. Because he wants us to be aware of the slippery slope we can fall down when we allow a desire to become an obsession. His desire to accomplish became an obsession to not just have what he needed, to have what he could hold, but he built other barns. Like, he tore them down and built them so that he could hold all of it. That's like the definition of obsession. It was way more than he needed. But he wants us to be aware that our worth is not in the amount of our resources or stuff or our accomplishments. Because what God is wanting, wanting to do in us, I believe, and in me, who's such a messed up person, uh, he, he wants us to give us new desires and new ambitions that are reshaped, reshaped into the image of his will. Like, it's okay to have desires. It's okay to have ambition. It's a good thing. I believe God's kingdom needs people who are ambitious and are going to go start things and go accomplish things and go make things happen and kind of shake the boat. But I think that those things can easily fall into this little line, like this muddy trap of becoming not just a desire, not just a, a, a good uh, a motivation, but they can become an obsession to where that is our chief end. That we are not so much focused on honoring our Lord and King, but we are focused on doing, on doing things for him, and that is our, our, our focus. It's not just being his child, but it's being his worker. And we're called to be his children and his servants, but from the standpoint that he is a loving father. God wants us to keep our desires in their proper place. I believe that when we can uh, embrace, uh, and, and again, I'm just figuring this thing out, like I'm just trying to, right? We should talk about this. Uh, it would be good. Um, God wants us to have our, our priorities be shaped around loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, first and foremost, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. And, and those two things will give us a proper perspective on the things in which are around us that offer us satisfaction, that people say, you need to have this, it will change your life. And we can look at those things as, as good things, like it's a good, uh, the MacBook Pro, like it's a good thing, like I find it useful. But it's not going to revolutionize my life, it's just not, it's not going to provide me any satisfaction. And so when we have our love for God and our love for people as our first and foremost, first and second things in our lives that are calibrating us into what we do, then that allows us to look at the things and, and see them as things, not to elevate them to the place that they never meant to be and never were supposed to be. He wants us to desire good things, not just for ourselves, but also for others. He wants us to value and love our neighbors so much so that we don't objectify their household, objectify their things, objectify them, but we love them. And so no matter how we slice it, this is a problem for us, at least it's for me, and we're all guilty of coveting after what someone else has. And I don't know what you've coveted after or what you've been coveting after, but it could be someone else's spouse, someone else's position, possession, salary. I don't know what it is, but only you and God can know what your heart is really after. Andy Stanley has said this. He, he said, there's no win in comparison. I think that's true. And he's absolutely right. When we let our hearts covet, nothing good comes of it. Only sin. Um, one, one thing that I found in my research that was, was I think, helpful is uh, a guy by the name of Greg Breezeal. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But uh, this dude named Greg laid this out as, like, how to know when you're coveting. Like, where's the line? Like, that's what we want to know, right? Like, when, when do I fall into coveting? Um, he said two things. Uh, number one, if you will sin to get it, if you will sin to get that thing that you desire, you're coveting. Or, number two, if you don't get that thing that you're desiring, 
and that you just not getting it causes you to sin, you are coveting. Take that for what it is. I'm still working that thing out. I don't know. He, he just at least seemed like he knew what he was talking about. He was like, I'll listen to that guy. <laughs> um, but if, if, if I may just get a, a very practical on some things that I think are for sure uh, in relating to this um, and, and maybe step on a little bit of toes, um, but not because I want to just do that, but because I love you. Um, men, if you're married, um, get your eyes off of other people's wives. Your wife is a gift from God to you. So rather than looking at other people's wives, learn to love your wife really, really well for the rest of your life. And, and if you're a guy in here and you're not married, then, and you want to be married someday, um, ask God to create in you a godliness that will allow you to love that person, your wife, for the rest of your life. Ask God to give that to you. Because there is no win in comparison. Ladies, because I love you, if you're married, please stop comparing other people's husbands to yours. Because what you are doing is you always elevate that person, that other husband, to a place where they are, they're not that good. They're not that good looking. They're not that kind. They're not that loving. And you always diminish what your husband is when you do that. So please learn to look at your husband with respect and love for the rest of your life and realize the grass is not greener on the other side. And ladies, if you're not married, ask God to give you a godliness that will allow you to respect and love that person. If you desire to be married, will respect and love that person for the rest of your life. Because marriage is a sacrificial thing. It's a giving of each other to each other. It's not in getting what's in it for me. It's giving of yourself to another. To the driven and the ambitious. Brandon? Learn to give your drive and your ambition toward things that will bring glory to God and not yourself. Because that is when you find out that God does have a purpose for you. He can use you, but it's not for your glory, it's for his. To the shopaholics. I think this connects. Shopping as therapy is simply idolatry. If when you are frustrated with life and discontent with life and you go to the store and you have to buy the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, you have to go to the shops, not because you need something, but because you want something, and you're looking to that as your source of contentment and source of satisfaction, you have to understand, why do you keep going back to the store? It's not going to satisfy. Instead, look to Christ as your only source of satisfaction. And a side note, for those of us who have credit card problems, it may not be a credit card problem. It may be a coveting problem. I love you. <laughs> to the rich, please understand that your net worth is not what your worth is. 
Your worth is found in not what your resources are, not what you have, but in who God is and how he thinks about you. And just so you know, we are all included in that. If you live in America, you are, we are the 1%. I know it may not seem like it when you look around, but we are the 1%. So use your wealth, wealth as a form of worship. As Jesus said plainly, be rich toward God. And so the truth is, and this is something I have to like write down on my eyelids so I could see them. wouldn't work. Um, but here's the thing. The pers- pursuit of more new or different will never end. Christ alone satisfies. Uh, now, as we've been going through the, the Ten Commandments, I just want to give you the rest of the story because we've been talking about Israel a lot. And I want to I show you how our story and Israel's story intersect. Okay? So, so follow me here. What God began with the Israelites, he finished with Jesus. The Israelites had their ups and their downs in being God's people and his representatives on earth. They failed time and time again, even though they were supposed to be his nation of priests. Coveting, they coveted after a king because other nations had a king and God wanted to be their king, but they wanted the man. They worshipped idols instead of worshipping Yahweh. They wanted their kingdom to expand, but it had been suppressed. And when all seemed to be lost after 400 years of silence, when they were used to hearing from God through prophets... After 400 years of of silence from God and not speaking through any prophets, an angel appeared to a teenage girl. And under Roman rule, when the Israelites were weak and not even their own nation anymore, the king of the world was born to a virgin and and an ordinary man, likely a carpenter. And that baby was God in flesh, the answer to all of our desires, all of our problems, all of our deepest questions. And he grew up, he healed people, he taught people, he saved people, was celebrated by people, and was later crucified by people. He was buried in a borrowed tomb on a Friday, but he rose again on a Sunday. And the tomb was empty. This Jesus had risen to life, spent time with people for 40 days, and then ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And as the exalted Lord, the exalted Messiah, the exalted King who now delivers people from sin and from death, and the exalted Savior who now saves people from their sins, this Jesus has created a new creation, a new people, a new kingdom, a new Israel, and it is called the church. It's a family of people who have surrendered to King Jesus, Jew and non-Jew, people who are alike and not alike, and brought together not as friends but as family. And now here we are. This is where we have our story intersect with Israel. We are a part of the rest of the story. We are the ones who get to live empowered by the Spirit of God to live in such a way that when people look at us, they see lights that point to Christ. They don't see your ambition as something that is reflective of you, but they see your ambition as what is reflecting to Jesus. And, 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 and by the way, next week, you do not want to miss it. We're starting a brand new series called Withness, Togetherness is Our Greatest Witness. Because we're going to look at what does it look like now to be the church, to be God's people. What does that look like on a practical level? And Kenny's going to be back and he's going to kicking off this, this series. And I, I just want to encourage you, do not miss that. Be here next week. It's going to be good. So, so where all this comes down to is, is, is three things. First off, if you're here today and you have not surrendered to King Jesus, you have to know that the only hope you have and, and having satisfaction in this life and having eternal life for the rest of eternity is through Jesus. He is the King, the Lord, the Messiah, the one who from the beginning was promised to 
rescue us from this world. And so if you have not done that, I want to encourage you. There's going to be people up here at the end of our service who would love to pray with you, who would love to talk with you about what that looks like to surrender to Jesus. And the other thing is, Jesus said to be rich toward God. And so as, as a church, we don't pass the plates. You might have noticed that. But we have giving kiosks along the perimeter, back, along the back perimeter of this, of this, uh, this room. And I just want to encourage you. If you have not committed to being generous with your resources, I want you to know that that could be one of the catalysts that God uses to get you out of coveting after whatever it is you're coveting after. Because Jesus said, be on guard against all greed and all covetousness. And then he calls them to be rich toward God. And so we have three ways to give. There's this way. There's also on, online, come to the crossing.com slash give, and on our mobile app, you can give. And, and what you are doing in that is you are worshiping your Lord and King who is sovereign over all things. He has given you all the things that you have. You are renting it from him. It is not yours. And you are giving it back to him so that you can worship him and you can show him that you trust him. And so I just want to encourage you, commit to generosity. When I did, it started to change my heart. I followed Jesus for, for a good amount of time before I started to being generous. And that changes things. And, and lastly, we're going to take communion together. So if you would, there's uh, baskets on the left hand of each side of the row. Um, and just grab that uh, and, and point it down, or point it down, pass it down. And we're going to take this together because if it's true that the pursuit of more, new, different, all that stuff uh, never will stop, then, and Christ alone satisfies, then we have to recalibrate our minds, recalibrate our hearts toward the one who does satisfy and I think every, time, every single week when we take of communion, we have an opportunity, if we'll take it, to recalibrate our hearts and recalibrate our minds toward the one who can actually satisfy, to the one who has satisfied to the level that we can be forgiven by God and be the people of God and live in the things that he has for us. Jesus has changed it to where even though I'm struggling with coveting, even though I'm struggling with wanting to accomplish things, uh, he is my hope because I know that he is not done with me. And if you have any kind of struggle, if you are here today and you have any kind of struggle, you need to know that when you surrender your life to King Jesus, he is going to be at work in you and through you for the rest of your life. And so this is an opportunity for us to just take part in a small way to be welcomed into the throne room of the King of Kings and have a meal with him. And so what I want to encourage you to do is just thank God for what he's done. And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your time to recalibrate your mind and recalibrate your heart toward him. So go ahead and take some time. You can take communion when you're ready. And we'll continue in our time. I'll close this out in prayer. So go ahead and take some time to spend with Jesus.